Hello, and welcome to Careers by Design, the interviews. I'm Sharon Belden-Castingway, director of the Gordon Career Center at Wesleyan University. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Craig Thomas and Carter Bays, both class of 1997, television writers, producers, and showrunners best known for their hit show, How I Met Your Mother. Carter and Craig, welcome to Careers by Design. Hello. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. I'd like to begin with your respective paths to Wesleyan. Uh, Carter, let's start with you. Tell me what you were like at age 10. At age 10, wow. Um, uh, small. I was small for my age. Uh, I not, not really into uh, sports at all. Uh, I was very... Um, I, I, don't, I don't think I was in any way precocious. I think I was more... Uh, but I, I was very uh, apt to daydream. Uh, my mom has stories about me uh, walking home from school, and like clearly she would like you know wait in the window watching to see me. This is back in the the, the middle ages when kids would walk home from school. Right. Uh, and I was and my mom would watch me walk out the window waiting for me to come around the corner and start walking towards the house. And there were a number of times that I uh, just I'd be so lost in thought that I'd just walk past the house and just walk keep walking down the street, and she'd have to run out and call my name. <laughs> You passed the house. So, uh, that, yeah, that's that's what I was like as a 10-year-old. So how did that lead to your decision to come to Wesleyan? Um, I, I think uh, it, it... I mean, my, my road to Wesleyan was so just haphazard and bumbly. I, I sort of... You know, I, I think I, I remained sort of uh, off my own world for a lot of my high school career, and, and I think I did okay in school, and I, and I tested well, but I wasn't, uh, wasn't a, a, a huge high achiever, but I... I achieved just enough that I was like, I think, uh, uh, in contention for a, a good school like Wesleyan. And um, I, uh, I think a friend of mine was applying to Wesleyan also, and I, I literally made the choice to apply to Wesleyan based solely on the fact that he was applying too because we were friends and I thought it would be fun to go to, go to college with him. Ultimately, he, I think he didn't act, even get in and I got waitlisted. Uh, but when I did get waitlisted, that was the, uh, I, it sort of occurred to me, that I realized much after the fact that I really wanted to get out of Ohio, and all the other schools I got into were in Ohio, and even the one in Connecticut. Up until this point, like, after the process, I really knew very little about Westland. Uh, then, it was like, all right, well, this is the one I got waitlisted for, so I'll just go visit it. I went and visited, and of course fell in love, because it's Westland, and it was amazing, and like, I couldn't believe how much I wanted to go to school, and that's when I kind of hit, hit, uh, kicked into, into overdrive and started. I mean, I, I think the story is, is it's, it's documented in a, in a book uh, called The Gatekeepers. Uh, I started sending uh, postcards to uh, Barbara Jan Wilson, who was in the admission department <laughs> at the time, and she was. Uh, uh, I, I sent a postcard every day, essentially begging to get into Wesleyan and, and giving like each day was a different reason why I felt I should be accepted into Wesleyan. And um, uh, also around that time, I, I had a play that I had written. I was really into playwriting in high school, and, and this, this play was won the Young Playwrights Festival in New York, and it was being and it was chosen to be produced off-Broadway, which was a, a pretty exciting thing, and, and I think that kind of probably helped uh, uh, put the ball over the goal line. 
Uh, and uh, I, I got accepted not long after. Great story. I, I, I love I love that story about sending stuff to Barbara Jan because it it could have led to acceptance oh. into college or like a restraining order. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it walks that fine line between yeah. like this that moxie and like holy crap, unbelievably this, naive. This guy's a psycho. Yeah. But it, it worked out for you, and it was it went yeah. the, it went the right way. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Craig, how about you? Were there uh, early signs of your artistic destiny? What led you to Wesleyan? Um, my dad was was an ad writer. He was a creative director. My, my dad was basically like a Mad Men era ad guy. Got it. Not, not nearly as cool as Don Draper, but he was kind of in that world. And he certainly smoked as much. Uh, and it was just, you know, I grew up aware that writing was a thing you could you could you could make a living making stuff up and it blew my mind and i I was i was such a comedy nerd i was i you know i was i loved movies i loved tv i was just you know this nerdy kid who who knew he wanted to tell stories i was also very very focused on writing short stories like short fiction i i thought maybe i would go that way with it uh and in fact at wesley and i wound up writing my thesis was a story collection and I focused a lot on fiction writing in addition to, to you know, trying to learn about TV writing and writing movies. Um, but yeah, I was, yeah, I mean, I was just sort of this, uh, this weird kid, <laughs> as Carter probably was too. And I just, I was a daydreamer and I was, I always made stuff up and I, I was just a, a comedy nerd at a young age. And Wesleyan just struck me from what I heard about it in school as this, as this like creative playground, this this place that was very much the opposite of my high school. I went to a very like kind of conservative Long Island high school, big lacrosse team, big football team. I was in the band for a little while. We had to march and play John Philip Sousa songs because John Philip Sousa grew up in my hometown, huh. and I was like playing playing trumpet, wearing like you know this like really dorky <laughs> like band, marching band uniform. With, like, seven-inch feather coming out of the top of the helmet, and it was like being in the military. It was, like, it was marching in place, playing this music. It was like I had joined the Army. That was like ninth grade. I was probably six feet tall. I weighed about 43 pounds with a feather coming out of my head. It was, I was just like, I have to put my life in a different direction than this. Uh, and I started, I quit that. I started playing in bands. I started writing music a little bit. I started writing a little bit of fiction, a little bit of, like, tentative attempts at scripts like I just started gravitating towards the executive world and it was all as I was starting this amazing place two and a half hours away from where I lived called Wesleyan um, and a couple of sort of cooler interesting punk kind of like rebel-y people that were old, a couple years older than me at my high school went there or were talking about that and I, I was like, those people seem cool, those people seem interesting, and they are talking about Wesleyan. So I, I started looking into it myself. Great. So I'm curious to hear about how you two first met. Uh, Craig, what was your first impression of Carter? Oh my gosh, this feels like slow pitch softball. Like I should have just a great line loaded up. <laughs> Do you know, I'm going to be really honest and sincere instead of being uh, snarky and say, I knew that Carter had this play produced off Broadway um, at the Young Playwrights Festival. He showed up late back to college, I think, right, Carter? Like a couple of days late because he was having a, like his play produced because he was one of the finalists or one of the people selected to get that from this contest. 
And I just thought that sounded really cool. <laughs> I couldn't believe that he, somebody had gotten their act together enough to write like a, a one-act play that got produced at the age of 18, or maybe you were 17 when you wrote it. So I was I was pretty impressed with Carter like leading into it. And I also knew he was a music guy in bands and stuff. And I he was he he was friends with I was in a band and he was friends with some of the guys in the band. And uh, we, that led to us forming a band together in junior year. And we were a nine-man band, um, and we had a four-piece horn section, and we wore suits. We were trying to be like the commitments, or like we uh, we it was we were we were a popular band on campus actually. But we weren't. Carter and I weren't collaborating. We were just friends. He was a singer. I was the drummer, and that led to us starting another band after that band ended where we wrote all the music and then we started writing songs together before we wrote scripts or jokes or anything together like we the first thing we wrote and made together were songs we helped each other with each other's songs and we recorded them and we played shows and so it was like started very out very musically our collaboration um and then it led into like he knew i was a writer i knew he was a writer and we uh decided to start writing stuff together the summer we had the same internship at uh, MTV, which was an internship we both heard about at the at the Crow Career Center at, at Wesleyan. <laughs> and we both <laughs> were there, walked in there and saw a, a flyer for that and completely yeah. unbeknownst and to this, each other. This was back in the days when the Career Center, the way it worked was there's a bulletin board with flyers and right. thumbtacks, and like that's how you find out about career yeah. opportunities. I, we're is, is it still old. the same way now? It probably, <laughs> it's a little probably different. Too much. Yeah. It's yeah, a little different now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just got sent a telegram. Uh, <laughs> it was it was delivered by a crow engine. arrived from the wall. <laughs> <laughs> we're a million years old, but uh, we literally un- we are in the same band together. We practiced all the time. We played shows all the time. Didn't know that each other had seen the same flyer for the same MTV series development internship in New York the summer between junior and senior year. We applied and we both got chosen, which is crazy. And we wound up working together that summer in New York City, which was awesome. That's when we started like writing songs together and writing uh, comedy together too. So it actually really part of our story of becoming better friends and collaborators definitely came from <laughs> the Career Center. I was both seeing this this silly little flyer uh, pinned to a bulletin board. That's a great story. So tell me a bit about what MTV was like as a place to work and how that experience influenced both of you, your thinking about what to do after graduation. Oh, that uh, it was uh, such an important summer for us. I, I think, first of all, MTV, and I don't, I don't know if it's still like this. I can't imagine it still is. I, I think it was just, it was just a wonderland for two 20 year olds living in New York City for the first time uh, for a summer. It was, you know, there would like be, you'd see like minor celebrities coming through the walls, like Sammy Hagar walking by every now and then. Uh, we, and, and um, MTV was an amazing place to work uh, for two 20 year olds living in New York City for the first time uh, that summer, especially. It was at a time when MTV was still, I mean, I, I haven't watched MTV in years actually, but at the time it was sort of in this, uh, reinvention mode where it, it was they were coming off of they, they started getting more uh, like like programming like the real world and singled out and things like that that, that weren't uh, music videos but there was still a big music presence on the on the network uh, and it was sort of at a time when they were trying to figure out 
what kind of network they were, and so the development department was kind of charged with this uh, sort of this, this open-ended assignment of figuring out what is what is the MTV sitcom. That was kind of what they were what they were working on. Uh, they they had just signed a deal with Jenny McCarthy coming off of Singled Out, and uh, they they wanted to develop a sitcom for her, and that that was kind of the uh, and, and also, it was at a time I think, like in the mid '90s, uh, like the the New York comedy scene was really interesting. It was when like the Luna Lounge stuff was going on, and and the State had been big a few years ago on MTV, and sure. and, and Stella was going on. Like there was a lot of really exciting comedy being done, and so I think they tried they they were really charged with synthesizing that into a TV show, which was just such a cool place for two wide-eyed kids to to sort of get a glimpse into how TV development works. Um, we, uh, I mean, one of, one of the sort of most notable things, I think, was was for us seeing, not just seeing what, like, made it onto the air, but also seeing what got passed on it, and you kind of learning learning this lesson that, like, man, there's, there's like, great material out there, and, and you just never know, like, like stuff that's getting passed on for, for no good reason, really. Like, I remember the, uh, when we... Um, when we came in, uh, there was one day we were, we were, uh, you know, largely our job was just making copies for people and and write and and writing uh, uh, coverage of things that would be submitted. But every now and then, our, our bosses would say like, "Hey, come look at this thing that, that got sent to us." Uh, they showed us this tape, and it was uh, uh, this this five minute cartoon of of Jesus fighting Santa Claus in a in a kung fu death match uh, with these these little kids watching on and laughing and cursing at each other. And it was the funniest thing any of us had ever seen. I mean, everybody, like, all over the, the entire 24th floor of the of the office was laughing at, about it. And it was, uh, you know, we saw it, and immediately the, it was like, oh, my gosh, is this going to be a new show on, on MTV? And they're like, no, it's little kids swearing. This can't, this can't be a TV show. It's really funny. It's, it's great, but it'll never be a TV show. And that, of course, was South Park. Right. And uh, it had been submitted to them, and, you know, they looked at it, laughed at it, but ultimately sort of made what I think in hindsight is probably a short-sighted decision that like, well, you can't do it with, with the cursing, so you, so it's not worth doing at all. And uh, you know, we, all, we all know what happened there. Right. <laughs> um, which was a good, it was a good lesson for us, I think, as writers too, because it was kind of like, uh, you realize that like, usually your gut is right. Usually if you're laughing at something, it's, you, you can't fake that. And, and you know, that, that's, that's always where, where you should be sort of pointing your attention. Um, but yeah, that was we we sort of uh, uh, you know our our main job was people would anyone who wanted to like make a t like wanted to get on MTV and didn't have any connections didn't have any agent or anything the people who would set up a video camera in their basement and make a show in their basement and like I got to send this to MTV because they're going to put it on the air that would go to Craig and I and it was we were it was our job as the two summer interns to watch all of these tapes most of them were terrible some of them were hilariously terrible uh some of them were actually good but uh we would watch these tapes and uh and write up coverage for them like review like say like what works about it what doesn't work and and if there was anything good we would pass it up to our boss and if, and if it was bad we would send a a, a letter to the person like the, the form letter saying sorry we can't do it at this time um and uh that was uh, yeah, and 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 as we were doing that, you know, and they were looking for this this sitcom for Jenny McCarthy. I think this is the moment that Craig and I—we'd already been making music together. We loved like writing songs and recording, uh, and we'd both 
been some uh, uh, we've been in a, a short story writing class together and we've been in a screenwriting class together uh, and so we sort of knew each other as writers and, and, and made each other laugh in that capacity we sort of just put our heads together one day probably over beers somewhere and said well, why, don't, why don't we try so we uh, went off to I think Craig's Craig's house in in, uh, in in Port Washington, Long Island for a weekend and, and sort of brainstormed on it and, and put our heads together and came up with a, a ultimately a third page script, pilot script for uh, a Jenny McCarthy uh, uh, pilot for, for a sitcom. Um, it was called Wild America, is that right, Craig? Am I remembering? That? <laughs> I don't even remember. It was. It was. A, she played. She played a character named Debbie Wilder, and it was. She was a, a talk show host, and this was like in the in the era of like when uh, when uh, Jerry Springer was really big, and, right. and, and like the, the whole like the crazy wild daytime talk show host. So it was kind of like our like parody of a talk show host, uh, a, a parody of like a daytime talk show, sort of like a, a Larry Sanders, because we were really into Larry Sanders at the time. And uh, we wrote it up, created characters, create, wrote, wrote like you know the joke. I, I haven't looked at it in 20 years, so I have no idea <laughs> if it's any good. I'm guessing not, but but uh, yeah, but we 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 gave it to our to our boss, and he read it, and like, I, it's funny that like the like as far as it got really was we like had to run off copies of it to to let other people read it, but like for us that was like we made it. We hit the big time. We're like making copies of our of our script for other people to read. Like we're using the MTV copier to copy our script. That's success. We did it. And, uh, <laughs> it's never going to get better than this, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, but uh, but yeah, they they uh, they looked at it and gave it some consideration and and you know passed on it. But I I think it it's sort of the the initiative combined with I think the you know they 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 liked the writing. Uh, so we, we, we it, I, I think it was a, a good feather in our cap, and it uh, sort of uh, raised, it brought us to the attention of of uh, Jeremiah uh, Bossgang, who was a, who's kind of our boss, like our boss's boss, uh, and he uh, he, you know, at the end of the internship, he pulled us aside and said, like, you guys are really funny, you work, well, you're, you're you're hard workers, and you 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 work well together, and 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 you write good stuff. Uh, if you're interested in a career in TV writing, you're going to need an agent. I have a friend who's an agent in Los Angeles, uh, and if you, he told us if you send a packet of material to him uh, of the stuff you want to write, and you put, uh, make a cover letter and mention, have the first sentence of the cover letter be, Jeremiah Bosgang asked us to contact you about da 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 da, uh, that that we could do that. And this was, it was, you know, we had. It was one lead. Like that was all we had. Like you know, we, we came yeah. out of. We had made some good relationships at MTV, but that was our only like real like lead as far as like for our writing career. And we just kind of took that one little spark and 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 fanned it into a flame over the course of senior year of college. Uh, you know, we, while we probably the, the safe bet would have been to to go to like career fairs and stuff, we sort of like were really focused on just this thing. And then we. Um, uh, we we wrote a Seinfeld spec, I think, like a spec script for a Seinfeld episode, and we also I was we were both really into uh, Conan O'Brien at the time. It was like the fourth the fourth season of Conan O'Brien. It was like really like the heyday of that show, and like Robert Smigel was writing for it, and Louis C.K. 
and we just love the writing on it. And so we also wrote up a packet of Conan O'Brien material, partly also because we didn't want to live in L.A. We neither of us had been to L.A. or knew anything about L.A. So we decided to uh, focus on New York shows, and and Conan was like one of the three shows in New York at the time. Right. Um, so so we sent our Seinfeld spec, and we wrote our our uh, a package of material for. Conan O'Brien, and we sent both of them out to to this agent in Los Angeles, and uh, he uh, he I, I I guess this was you know this is our our fall of our senior year. Uh, this agent Elliot Webb at Broder Curlin Webb Uffner, he passed along the the uh, our material. He took one look at it and saw that we were 22 years old, and he was kind of you know. A, a little too senior of an agent to be looking at something like that, but he passed it along to the youngest agent in in the office, um, a guy named Matt Rice, who, well, just flashing forward 20 years, is our agent to this day. But uh, Matt Rice called us up. Uh, we I remember I remember the conversation in in my apartment on Cross Street. Craig and I huddled around the phone, uh, and uh, he told us uh, he read our material. He said the. Seinfeld was terrible. The, the, our, our spec was, was awful, but our Conan packet was pretty good, and he thought he could maybe get us a job, if not at Conan, at some one of the comedy shows in New York. And there weren't a lot of them at the time. It was really, I think at the time, it was just Conan and, and Letterman and SNL. Um, and so, you know, it was it was a very very thin thread to hang from. But uh, then. That the summer after we graduated, just by luck, a writing team uh, uh, left Letterman. Uh, two two writers from from Letterman left, which which almost never happens. And it was sort of this this sudden opportunity for us to get in the door. And we um, we were kind of given the directive, like we can get you an interview there, but you have to we have to give them your Letterman packet uh, on Monday. And this is on a Friday. And we were like, well, we don't have a Letterman packet. And they were like, yeah, I know, you have 48 hours. So we sort of <laughs> yeah, we were up. we were we were staying at my mother's house on Long Island in Port Washington, and I remember like working all night through the weekend, like to write up like top 10 list jokes right. and all these different like Letterman ideas. Like maybe we had started a few ideas like that in case we ever needed it, but we didn't. We'd spent all of senior year putting these other things together, like mainly this Conan O'Brien portfolio. And it was like, nope, do all, do do what you did in your senior year, but do it over a weekend. And I just remember, yeah, we were at, like the diner in Port Washington that all yeah. like that stays open until four in the morning, and then like pounding coffee and writing, just writing as much stuff as we could. And these in this two day span, in my you know my mother's house, and Carter was like in the guest room. I was like in my childhood room. And yeah. I think we we're probably just sitting in my like childhood room under like 1986 Mets posters, <laughs> writing this, this thing that would determine our future. Uh, it's it's, yeah. it's an unlikely story all the way around, but it worked and, out somehow. And at the time, it felt like like this is this is a marathon. We can't do this. Like we can't write a top ten list in just 48 hours <laughs> when like the job is write a top ten list in three hours. So like you know yeah. ultimately I, I think it was, it was yeah it prepared us for yeah. what the job ended up being. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that sort of uh, that yeah, we, we Monday morning we sent off our stuff. Uh, the uh, the, um, the the people at Letterman at Worldwide Pants looked at it. Uh, their their development uh, uh, executive, who we have had the pleasure of working with just recently this year, uh, Kate Adler is her name. She uh, she liked our material and passed it along to the head writer, uh, this guy Tim Long, who's now a writer for The Simpsons. 
Um, and Tim and Kate brought us in for an interview, and uh, we uh, it was totally nerve wracking. We like you know took the train in and like you know wore our, wore our best you know uh, paratrooper pants or whatever people were wearing in the in 1997. <laughs> uh, and we uh, uh, yeah it was, it was our first job interview anywhere really, and and uh, they we kind of hit it off with them. Uh, we impressed them, I guess. And then we had one more meeting with Tim and Rob Burnett, who was the executive producer of, of Letterman. And that was on a Friday and it was totally nerve wracking. We went in and we just had made small talk for a little bit. And finally Rob said, uh, you know, I really like your stuff. I don't know. What do you think, Tim? And Tim's like, yeah, they're, yeah Tim actually, it's funny. He had a funny line. Cause we, along with it, we had sent our resumes, you know, because you know, you're coming out of college, you got to put your resume together. And it had like our GPAs on it. And Tim was like, so Rob was like, what do you think, Tim? And Tim was like, well, you know, they, their, their grades are pretty good. So, uh, <laughs> which they, they had a good laugh about. Because, yeah. And, and, you know, our grades weren't that good, but, uh, <laughs> but we, uh, they, uh, my grades were fantastic, Carter. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you slander me? <laughs> uh, but, but, uh, yeah, Rob said, okay, let's do it. And we were like floored, and he said, "Come in on Monday, enjoy the weekend because that's the best part of this. The, 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 this. This this weekend will be the best part of your experience at Letterman." <laughs> I think he said, "This weekend is going to be the best weekend of your career, and it's all downhill from here." <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Like yeah. uh, the actual job of like trying to write comedy is so hard. He was like, "Enjoy this win, boys. Get ready to be completely <laughs> neurotic for the next few decades." And uh, some accuracy to that, though. It's a, it was. Uh, it's been uh, it's been joyous, and that was literally you know it's been there's so many points in that story where it, it shouldn't have worked, where we should have hit a brick wall and just like lived in my mom's house through our twenties, and uh, it's amazing that it worked out. And that was literally Carter and I are coming up on our twenty year anniversary of that day that he just said. Or I, yeah, well, I guess the Monday I remember right. It was like August twenty fifth, nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, that that's Monday right. Monday when we started our first week after that, after marching out of that office on the Friday and being completely out of our minds happy and freaked out and excited and panicked over that weekend that's 20 years ago this august so we're coming up on a 20-year anniversary we should go get a beer or something carter probably I, just we should something. for sure um <laughs> yeah and that was somehow <laughs> but that was uh, and and you know in hindsight also i think like because once we were there we saw that there was a lot of turnover in that job and like you you we were very, very, very lucky and very grateful to get in the door, but the real challenge was keeping the job, and that was sort of, that was where we had to really like, and that's where we kind of relied on, you know, like I said, I was a kid with a head with my head in the clouds for most of my high school experience, and then got into Wesleyan just on a lark, like really like, got very lucky getting to Wesleyan, but I think Wesleyan taught me, taught me to be a self-starter and taught me like a, a real work ethic that I think really, uh, that that was what kind of kept us uh, kept us with a job for the next four and a half years. That, that was how we managed to not get fired in a job that a lot of people get fired from. Um, yeah. So uh, that was we we sort of Craig and I have always described it as comedy grad school because it really was the just a solid four years of working very hard and putting in our you know the Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hours towards just writing things that make an audience laugh and and in order to do that you have to write a lot of things that don't make an audience laugh and you need to really feel the pain of the audience and not laughing at the things you write <laughs> and uh and i i think uh and, and it makes you be 
self-critical enough that you make good stuff better, but not so uh, self-critical that you uh, discourage yourself. Um, it, it was it was a really it was, it was a great great workshop for developing those kind of tools, and also for the tools of of producing television. You know, when we when we went on to to do How I Met Your Mother, we kind of already had experienced edit rooms and shooting. Like like we we Craig and I were in charge of the mailbag where people would write in letters and Dave would answer them and often he would answer them with a funny pre taped skit that we would uh uh we would have to we would be in charge of writing writing the piece and then uh shooting it with, with uh with Dave often acting in it and then going into the edit room and editing it. And this is at a time before YouTube, before people had you know could make movies on their laptops like this was a time when you didn't have that kind of access to that like that was it was a pretty rare thing to for two 22 year olds to have access yeah. to an edit room to have access to editing and and to 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 uh you know a, a four camera crew um so it was it was a great experience in that regard as well so you guys are sitting around the writer's table wearing your parachute pants. You know, when did you start developing the idea for How I Met Your Mother? I mean, it was a while later. It was basically we, were, we got to live in New York and be TV comedy writers for four and a half years from 97 to 02. And it was just like, it was amazing. There weren't that many jobs like that. Like it's in New York, if you go to a cocktail party and say like, I'm a comedy writer, I write for David Letterman, it's cool. In L.A., if you're like, I'm a comedy writer, people are like, I don't care what you do. Yeah, so is that guy <laughs> and that guy. <laughs> Everyone in here is. Uh, it was it was just very cool. But, we, you know, after a few years there, we started, you know, Carter was a playwright. I, w- I was a short story writer. We, we are interested in, in character and story and structure and emotions and getting into who who these characters are and seeing them go through things. And we, we just realized we were having kind of growing pains of, like, we want to tell bigger stories and different stories than just little skits and jokes. And we were just very ready by the end. Um, but it was another, it was another big leap that we took. I mean, one big leap was from like from Wesleyan to my mom's house to write spec material to try to get a job in New York. That shouldn't have worked. And then we, we quit at Letterman. Actually, we, we left to go move to LA um, because it was time for us. It was, we were almost heading towards five years doing the same job. And, we, we left to L.A. without a job. We took a big leap. Um, had a little money in the bank from Letterman, but we, it's like we, we it, when I look back on it, I'm like, thank God neither of us had children at that point <laughs> because it was a big leap. And uh, I had just gotten married to Rebecca, my wife, whom I also met at Wesleyan. I always say I went to Wesleyan. I met my, like, two life partners, my wife and Carter. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, we all moved to Los Angeles, like the three of us, Um and Carter and I started going on job interviews while we were at Letterman. Like he said, we were we were very very hardworking. Like Wesleyan, really, the aesthetic at Wesleyan was you can do stuff, but you have to do it. Like if you if you think if you want a band, start a band. Like go out and get all those people and figure out how to set up rehearsal times and print up flyers and like do it. And if you want to write, great, write. Like do it. Get join get in a class and have deadlines and make yourself do it. And it was just that 
that, that's kind of how it was at Letterman. We we're like, well, if we want to write sitcoms, we need to have a couple of really good spec scripts of us writing existing sitcoms that are on the air. So we did that. We just chose two sitcoms we watched. I think it, it was Scrubs at the time and Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is still on the, is still being made actually all these years later. And uh, this was like 2002, and we, we basically worked all the time at Letterman. The hours were really, really long and demanding, and we would then go home and work on spec scripts and work on the weekend and like we just worked non-stop because we knew we were going to take this leap and we sent out those spec scripts through our agents to a bunch of um like tv executives in la and and potential pilots and shows that were that spring of uh, 2002 that were in contention and we basically just went out there with our little spec scripts and like our reel of you know stuff we'd done on letterman or various like pieces and samples of things we'd written on that got on the air and went on a bunch of meetings um and that led to us getting staffed on a sitcom that no one knows because it only went like a year and a half it was called oliver bean uh but it was for 20th century fox and it went like a season and a half and it was it was cool because we realized that a lot of sitcom writers like carter was saying didn't have experience shooting things and editing things like a lot of a lot of sitcoms the writers are just in the writer's room but they don't spend much time on set they don't edit it's not as hands-on um the showrunner or other producers do that stuff and like letterman was really great because it was like that do-it-yourself aesthetic that that wesleyan has and so we we were very it quickly became clear on our first sitcom job that we knew how to do a lot of stuff we could be good on the set we could rewrite things quickly we could get in the edit room and really head up the editing of episodes and those are all the skills that a showrunner does um and so the showrunners of that show said these guys are good and recommended that 20th century fox the studio of that show make a deal with us a development deal with us so even though the show failed we got like a probably two or three year development deal with Fox where we would work only on their shows and develop material. So it was under that deal that we wrote the pilot for How I Met Your Mother, which was basically our first pilot. We were sort of writing it alongside another pilot that didn't go anywhere. Um, but How I Met Your Mother was very much us writing about ourselves and a little bit about Rebecca and sort of who we were. And we'd said goodbye to New York and it was like our love letter to our 20s in New York. and. That's why there's so much sort of nostalgia and the, the future narrator looking back and kind of making sense of a chapter that has passed, even though we were like 29 at the time, <laughs> we were sort of writing as if we were wistfully looking back on life from many decades in the future, because that's how it felt. We, we knew that this great chapter had ended, and here we were in Los Angeles and trying to figure our life out, what, what was the rest of life. And so that was sort of a lot of that emotion went into How I Met Your Mother, and that's yeah that that's sort of how we <laughs> another series of incredibly unlikely events happened where we actually got to shoot that pilot and it got on tv and it didn't get canceled and it went nine years and just when i think about the totality of this whole story when it starts at mtv in my mom's you know basement basically and uh leads us to getting to make this show for almost a decade it's pretty unlikely but you know it it, it all began at wesleyan and just two people meeting who liked making stuff up together. How has having that experience of having just a crazy successful show shaped how you look at new opportunities that are coming your way now? Uh, it's, it's, in a word, it's ruined it because uh, <laughs> it's, it's very, it's, you know, we, we had the best time. We had, it was, we, we're we, spoiled. 
we're completely spoiled. Well, you know, like it, it's so unlikely that a show runs for nine years. It's so unlikely. I mean, there's so many unlikely things about it. It's unlikely the show runs for nine years. It's unlikely that, like, for nine years, the actors, for the most part, are remain really nice people, and and the the director is is someone wonderful that you want to work with for nine years. I mean, it was just it was just this wonderful family, and it was also creatively a show that just really lent itself to us being able to do anything. I mean, we, we, we moved at a lot of speeds on that show. We had, we had drama, we had comedy, you know, if we wanted to do a musical number, we got to do a musical number. If we wanted to, you know, do, do an episode that's like solving a mystery, like make it a, a film noir, we could do that. I mean, there was just so many, so many different speeds that the various episodes of the show could move at that it, there was never, there was almost, almost any time we'd have an idea for a story to tell we could tell it with these five characters, which was sort of uh, kind of exactly what you want in a show that you're running because it, it left us with very little appetite to do anything else while we were doing it. It also, you know, made us, it, it you know, we had always thought that the show would be seven, maybe eight seasons, and I think that's how it ended up being nine seasons, just that we all loved it. No one, nobody wanted to walk away from it because it was such a good opportunity. So now, as we, it's very hard, it's a very hard, uh, yardstick to judge any brand new idea by because it's hard to like it's hard to enter into the creative process thinking like oh I have this idea for you know a comedy that takes place uh, about garbage men or something or or you know the the gift shop of the statue of liberty or whatever it is you know it's hard to any idea you have you think like well that's a good idea but can i do that for nine years is, is I, am i gonna fall in love with that idea and spend nine years with that idea and and uh you know it Really, it's it's a very unrealistic way to approach development because most shows don't last nine years and and they're still very successful. But I think for us, it's it's just that follow up act has to has to somehow live up to this great experience that came before, and and it's 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 made it a little harder for us, I think. You were both on the selection committee for the new Hamilton Prize for Creativity, awarded to an entering first-year student at Wesleyan, and you're about to celebrate yeah. your 20th reunion. If, if the Hamilton Prize had existed 20 years ago, do you think you would have entered? How do you think you would have fared now that you've seen the competition? Oh, I, I mean, the, the competition was it, so... Just reading all of the entries, it... it made me really it, it was humbling and it made me feel on one hand just like i'm so excited for just the arts in general because there's these like the kids of this generation somehow between playing on their iphones and and their skateboards or whatever kids are doing these days they're 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 uh they're still <laughs> they're they're like old, old really, man bays. yeah old man bays uh, as long as they stay off my lawn. <laughs> there we go. Uh, they, uh, you know, there's like some real talent in this upcoming generation. I mean, Audrey, the the, the woman who won, she is her her piece was 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 incredible, incredibly written, and but and all of them were were incredible. So there's a little part of like I'm excitement for what the future holds for these for these young writers. I'm also uh, it, it makes me want to retire because uh, I know that they're they're just being sent here to replace me. And uh, uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to hiring those people and taking credit for their brilliance. 
That's yeah. what I'm looking forward to. I just want to sort of mine it and try to find a way to, to steal their ideas. That's the Hollywood ecosystem. And take credit. That's the ho- yeah. That's just that's called being a good producer. Yeah. No. Uh, in in all honesty, like it really was. It it's great to see these voices and these submissions just take uh, take any swing they wanted. You know, the, these were like all of these pieces were really big creative swings. Either there was something really really personal, or maybe something that that was. This, the, the story that one had a real magical realism to it. It was it really uh, some beautiful work, and it just rem- it reminds you of that spark that you need to find in everything you do, uh, whether you're that 17, 18 years old writing those, or two 41 year old guys here in New York. Like you want to find that spark of like a story you have to tell, a story you only you can tell, only in the way that you can tell it. And it's really cool to read young voices that are. All they have is that spark, you know. Yeah. They're, they're, that's that's what they have. That's the, that's who they are. They haven't been tampered with. They haven't tried to fit their voice into some expectation. And the truth is, you have to hold on to that all the time. Even even uh, us in this business, with some, you know, we're established and there's certain expectations of the type of thing we should or should not do. But really, all artists have is that spark of a story that gets in your head and moves you in some way, and you have to tell it. And it's finding the bridge between that spark and like commerce and the business side of it that can be so challenging. But boy, what it's such a precious thing. That's that moment of inspiration. And it's cool to see people at the beginning of, of finding that and finding their voice. So that's a, it's a great thing that Wesleyan and, and Lynn Manuel are, are doing. So we were happy to be part of it. Yeah, for sure. I, I just to add, like, I, I the thing that struck me was all of the entrants were, were written with such enthusiasm and such yeah. energy like so such energy yeah. went into it which is really like you know I, I i think growing old is kind of this process of trading energy for wisdom and like where where i think i don't feel like i have the energy i had when i was 20 years old maybe i have the wisdom that that, that comes with uh living a life for 20 years but boy that energy is so inspiring and and the enthusiasm that went into it and, and the feeling of like i i'm not writing this because i, I need to get this scholarship to wesley and i'm writing this because i can't contain it inside my body any longer and and it feels uh, i I was, I was very inspired by all, all of the writers who who entered sort of felt like they were writing from that place which is just the best place to be writing from that's great carter bays and craig thomas class of 1997 thank you so much for joining me today thank you Thanks. this was yeah. great it was a pleasure great thanks fun. for having us sharon This has been Careers by Design, the interviews. If you enjoyed this podcast, help us attract new listeners by leaving a comment on iTunes. And check out our Careers by Design online course, available on iTunes U and the Gordon Career Center website. This podcast is produced by Sharon Belden-Castingway, music by Andrew Santanello.